Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. score still evenly balanced Fletcher and Steen looking to get in again the goalkeeper come a long way and Bailey started in and scores for Bournemouth John Bailey one time from league player came into the professional game late at 26 and makes a dream first appearance at the big stadium with a goal Good morning and welcome to episode 64 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. My name is Sam Davis and this week I'm going to be joined by Neil Dawson. Active on Twitter, you'll probably know him best as being outspoken but articulate on the Vitals Forum. I often like to read his opinion as it's a a pretty good gauge of what most AFC Bournemouth fans are thinking. And after that drab nil-nil against Watford, I'll be really interested to hear his thoughts. Still, it wasn't as drab as the match seven days previous, was it? But we haven't now scored in three games. Is that a worry? We'll get his views. Plus, we look forward to the Manchester United match next week. And it will be preceded by the rugby. England, of course, were victorious over New Zealand. Sean Barker, are you listening? Are you? Well, we're going to be playing South Africa next Saturday morning as a nice little sporting opener to what will be a great weekend. Cannot wait for that. Jeff Hayward, if you're looking to hear his opinion, well, check out our YouTube channel as uh, he was on with his son Joe and you can view all the videos at youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. But first, a question for you, like last week. How does the offer of free beer appeal to you? It certainly does to me. If so, prick up your ears. We've teamed up with Beer 52 to offer all podcast listeners who are over the age of 18 a cheeky offer where you can enjoy eight craft beers at no cost to you. Over the next week or so, if you take up this offer, they'll throw in two more. So you'll actually get 10 
all you need to do is cover the cost of delivery, which is £4.95. The link you need to go to is beer52.com slash AFCB. That's beer5number2.com slash AFCB. If you've not heard of Beer 52, they are beer pioneers and the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. They deliver eight craft beers to your doorstep with different themes every month. It's usually £24, but you can get it free. Past themes have included California, Belgium and even Norway to name but a few. So they'll send you these every month, but they don't hold you to ransom. So you can leave at any time. As I said, the first round of beers is free. You just need to cover the postage. You'll get a snack and a magazine in there too. You can cancel after the first one if you like. It's only £4.95 delivery. Can't say fairer than that. And after the game at the weekend, well, I felt like I deserved a beer because... It was a difficult one to sit through, defensively solid, but stunted in attack. Shortly, we'll be taking in your thoughts and we'll be getting some raw match audio from the day, including some rather beautiful impromptu chants about Southampton's 9-0 calamity at home to Leicester City. But first, time for another one of these. So you'll note that we were in our Wembley kit at Vicarage Road on Saturday and lots of people on Twitter, including Stu Bramley and many more, looking at it thinking, that is a thing of beauty. It actually was. I didn't think it would work uh, because I couldn't remember what it looked like. But wow, that was brilliant. And consider we didn't have any goals at the weekend. We opened our show with the iconic commentary of John Bailey scoring the opener in front of, what was it, 62,000 fans at Wembley. So as part of this week's Do You Remember, we're going back to 1998 with a number of questions which form part of a maths quiz. Okay, bear with me on this if you didn't hear it last week, but you'll end up with a single number. Whose squad number is that? We'll go over the question now. Let's get started. So, Wembley final. Tell me the number of AFC Bournemouth first team managers to be on the pitch that day. Take that number and multiply it by the number of players who were named in the AFC Bournemouth Wembley matchday squad. With the number that you've got, now minus the number of players that were actually used from that matchday squad. And then divide the number that you've got by the total number of goals scored in the game. You should have an answer, and it is a squad number of an AFC Bournemouth player. This is complicated, isn't it? But what squad number is it? Do it one more time. The number of AFC Bournemouth first team managers to be on the pitch that day at Wembley, multiplied by the number of players named in the AFC Bournemouth squad. Then, minus from that figure, the number of players that were actually used from the named matchday squad and then divide that figure by the total of number of goals scored in the game. Have I made it complicated enough? I don't think so. You'll have a number. Which squad player is it? If you get it right, credit for sticking with it. So, wet, dreary, stunted in attack. That was Saturday at Vicarage Road. The fan thoughts are coming up and thank you to everyone who came on YouTube and those who submitted their audio afterwards. But this, from my phone, was some 
bits of match audio from the day, and it's mainly chanting. Josh King caressed it into the grateful arms of the goalkeeper, but that's been our best chance of note in the second half. Apart from that, it's been dead. Good to see Harry Wilson getting on the ball, though. Harry Wilson with a free kick on the edge of the box, 85 minutes gone. There was a bit of a melee as Watford tried to clear it after a ball with counter-attack. Harry Wilson's now stepping up it would be a cracking time for him to do what he did against Manchester City. Come on, Harry. Oh, just wide, just wide. The keeper was unsighted. He didn't move. Oh, my goodness me. So, so close. Hey, it's Claire Carlin here, North Stand season ticket holder. Just home and back from a very wet and windy Watford this afternoon after what can only be described as an incredibly frustrating nil-nil draw. In so many ways, as frustrated as we are, we could have so easily have lost that game and in many ways we should have done. Two back-to-back draws and three games without scoring. I just don't know where our shooting boots have gone. If we didn't have Ramsdale and goal today and if Watford had been more clinical, we, we would have lost that game. I guess that's why they're so low down in the league, though. Second match for me, I'm, as I said, our man of the match must go to Ramsdale. He pulled off some raw blinders today um, and two clean sheets was only down to him. But something seriously needs to be shaken up. It wasn't provided today by King and don't get me started on the Fraser-Wilson partnership. Where's their partnership gone? Without scoring in the last three, it's a concern. I can't see where our next goals are going to come from. Ramsdale did particularly well with Hughes' late chance, which again could have so easily have cost us the game. 
something must change prior to my new i'm not quite sure what that is at the moment i suppose we've all just got to be thankful and grateful that this evening we are not southampton up the cherries in all departments hi ashley here um i thought overall it was an improvement on last week um although yet again it's a game we should be winning in terms of positives i was impressed with dan juma uh, he looks like a really good player and i think he'll get better with more game time Ramsdale was brilliant again. Uh, this seems to be a given that given now, along with Steve Cook and Ake. Adam Smith, I thought, played well. And Binning and Lerma just did their normal job. Although Watford did have a bit of joy playing through us in the middle of the pitch, which, which I thought was surprising. I also thought that Solanke did well um, when he came on. Uh, negatives, Fraser was poor again. He just looks like he's going through the motions. His final ball at the moment is, is really, really poor. Callum was, uh, was not good. His hold-up play just isn't good enough at the moment. Everyone else I thought was a solid um, 6 out of 10. I also thought that um, we needed Lewis Cook with about 20 minutes to go, um, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, he was pretty ineffective last week, so maybe that, that counted against him. Disappointed. I thought it was an improvement on last week, as much as it was the same scoreline, but I mean, possession-wise, shot-wise, a lot better than last week. But still, again, that final third for me. Yeah. We've sorted everything out defensively, but now we just can't hit the net. But I thought the build-up play was better, which was ironic, really, because we didn't have Lewis Cook in there today, who's normally more creative. But I thought Lerma and Billion were pretty solid in there. I thought we created a few decent opportunities, but Callum's not on it at the moment. Fraser's not quite on it. King didn't look look as good today. And you just Then you bring Slanky on, which I thought was the right sub, but he doesn't look like he's going to bag a goal anytime soon. So you just wonder where it's going to come from. But there was a few more positives, but two games two points against two teams we should be looking to beat so yeah I think first half we probably could have put three in I think Foster made a couple of very good saves um, Dan Juma probably could have done better with his and then second half there's just no creativity yeah it was uh, yeah, just a bit lacklustre the second half on it right overall um, obviously things aren't right in my opinion we're moving the ball too slowly but also we're just so predictable it feels to me like Ramsdale's clearly been told to wait until we get into an attacking shape. And obviously, while he's waiting to do that, the opposition also get organised. We're really, really predictable. Um, it almost looks like we've been overcoached. It seems to me that, you know, every time um, Ramsdale gets the ball, we push, push the fullbacks forward on the touchline along with the two wingers. He'll then roll the ball out to one of the two centre-backs or the holding midfielder. What happens then is the full-back will run back towards our goal on the touchline. The winger will come in field. They'll move the ball out to the full-back. The full-back then moves it in field to the winger. And then we try and then spin off that for the full-back to overlap. We try and do that on both sides. If that doesn't work, we then play a long hopeful ball down the channel to Callum Wilson. That's all we do. We do it every single time. And teams know that. Watford yesterday, you could see they, they sat themselves deep, waited for it to happen, uh, and knew entirely what was going to happen. And nine times out of ten, were able to deal with it reasonably comfortably. So anyway, that's what I think. Um, finally, a shout out to Alex from Chicago. I found myself sitting next to him. Um, he arrived on Friday, his first ever AFCB game. Uh, and then he was going on Sunday morning so that's commitment for you um, unfortunately he saw us uh, get a nil-nil but well done to him thanks very much bye
So there we go. Those were the fans' thoughts. And thank you to everyone who contributed, either after the game or who appeared in person outside Vicarage Road. Really appreciated you having a chat with me. So as I said earlier in the show, we've got Neil Dawson with me. Neil, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm a bit hoarse. That's all right. spent 90 minutes singing songs about Southampton at a Bournemouth game. Yeah, so you may know Neil Neil from uh, the Vitals Forum, always uh, does his match reports and always very articulate with what you say. Um, tell me about your background with supporting AFC Bournemouth. Blimey. Well, I've supported AFC Bournemouth off and on since uh, 1982, I think. 1983. So the first game I went to was George Best's debut. Wow. So we just moved into the area and my dad uh, said, look, we need to go over to Bournemouth because George Best playing. And I think at the time I didn't even know who George Best was as yeah. a little kid. And um, so that would have been that would have been the first game. I think that was night. I think that was nineteen eighty three. Mm. So yeah. So the first game I saw Bournemouth play, George Best played. Mm. That's incredible. That's, the, fame, that's not it? a bad thing to and, say. And since it? then, other than stints away, at, um, I lived abroad for a couple of years. So that broke the uh, that broke the relationship. Mm. Um, and I lived in London for five years. So at times I only got down to certain games. But since then, I've been like pretty much there every single home game and as many away games as I can get to. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure that you, like most, never ever thought that we would ever be reaching the top flight. No, never. <laughs> never in a million years. And um, the my favourite photo I've got at home is me and my dad and my little boy mm. um, when we got when when we uh, beat Bolton 3-0. Mm. And uh, we've got a photograph that someone took of us. I can't remember who it was because we were yeah. all so euphoric. But mm. photo of the three of us uh, just looking happier than we were. It's the first, only time I've ever seen my dad cry. Oh, wow. So years and years and years of family traumas and all the things but I've never seen tear in his eye until we uh, we beat Bolton 3-0 so yeah. I think that says a lot about being a Scottish bloke yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what that is. and we've managed to keep our top flight status ever since and um, the feeling after Saturday's game I think perhaps shows how far we've come however that's always something I was just saying to you previously one of your bugbears is that um a lot of people refer to the past and uh, they almost use that as an excuse about how we're playing and us sort of not moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one because I was looking this morning thinking if someone had said to me that you'd be eighth in the Premier League and you would be dissatisfied with the performance 10 years ago, I probably would have thought, well, obviously I'm going to have severe mental health issues. So it would have been um, uh, something you wouldn't believe. So it, you, you do sometimes have to take a check of yourself and think, am I really... You know, am I really having a bit of a grumble online or whatever at, yeah. at, at a time when we're eighth in the Premier League? And um, and obviously, I think the start point is we are all absolutely euphoric to be where we are yeah. because we never dreamt of it. I don't think it will last. So yeah. I think we do definitely have to enjoy it while we can. Yeah. But I don't think it stops you from being able to look at a team or a squad of players and say, are they... Are they hitting the absolute maximum they can? And I think what characterised Eddie's sides over the years has always been that they've played better mm. um, than the actual sum of than the actual individual players on the pitch. Yeah. So I think the Championship side probably would have finished twelfth or fourteenth under any manager, the one mm. that won the league. When you actually look at the teams on paper, regularly we beat week in week out players that were better than ours, yeah. uh, and then that was because of the way the way that we were set up. We understood each other. We had a great system. I think. We took that into the Premier League. I think we had those those players understood those roles, and whatever happened, we used we. I mean, we brought heaps of players in, but invariably they didn't stick or they didn't work. Mm. And what you'd always see Eddie do is he revert. He'd get as many of his Championship side back into the team whenever we had a period of poor results. Yeah. 
because they had that ability. They understood the 4-4-2 he likes to play. They played it really well. I think we're now in a position where they're either too old or they've gone. Mm. And we are, we've, got, we've got a group of players who are better than anything we've had before. But I think the performances aren't as good as the group of players. And that's the first time we've been able to say that since Paul Groves. Yeah, that's yeah, that's absolutely scary. And uh, Paul Groves, of course, we uh, we played in the Wembley kit yesterday as well, pretty much, didn't we? No, we did, yeah, no, yeah. it was fantastic. It was like a chip down. I mean, my little boy um, has only ever seen the glory years. And when we ran out, he went, oh, God, that looks just awful. And I was yeah. like, oh, I was just thinking, that's brilliant. Because I, I think I've seen us play in Watford in that kit on a number of occasions before. But yeah. um uh, but yeah, no, it was funny to see him run out like yeah, that. Yeah, a few people, and at the start of the show, we opened with, um, we've grabbed some archive clips, so it's nice to relive that John Bailey goal at the start of the show today. Uh, shame about the result, and of course, and of course, Paul Groves was was on the opposing side, which I didn't realise until years later, actually. Yeah. Um, but however, um, so yesterday then, we started... Uh, with a lineup which saw Solanke come out and Harry Wilson was out of the lineup as well. Uh, Steve, uh, sorry, Lewis Cook dropped out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice to see Jefferson Lerma back. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh King back up front in his mm-hmm. favoured position. And a Premier League start for Dan Juma. So at two o'clock, when you saw that team lineup, what, what were your thoughts on that? Right, so take them one at a time. The Lewis, Lewis Cook, I wasn't surprised that. I think if you're going to play two in midfield, um, which Eddie likes to do, one of them has to be a nutter that can do the jobs with two men. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. And I think, historically, Harry Arter fulfilled that role. So if you re- yeah. championship season, Sermon would do his little Sermon thing in front of the back four, and Harry Arter would charge around doing the job of two men. And yeah. you, used to, you used to wonder how he ever got off the pitch having run those miles. Yeah. Latterly, Dan Gosling's done that to lesser effect, because mm-hmm. if you look at his mileage stats, he's always up around the 11, 12 miles. Yeah. And Jefferson Lerman's got the ability to do it. Lewis mm. Cook doesn't. And I think what we saw against Norwich was why we, were, we looked better yesterday, with the t- even with the two men in midfield, was that Lerma did his usual job of hunting people down and going at it and always being able to get back yeah. after he got forward. So I wasn't surprised to see Lewis Co- Cook drop out. I think Lewis Cook will be one of those players that will only play well in a three-man midfield. Yeah. Um, not in a two-man midfield. And I think Billing and Lerma have got the legs and the energy to pull off a two-man midfield if just if that's what we choose to play. Mm. I think Dominic Solanke um, <clears throat> is suffering a little bit because he's being asked to play that number 10, that number 10 role as only Bournemouth play it, which mm. is a centre forward being converted into it. Um, so I think we never see the best of Josh King there. I think Josh King's a better player than Solanke. So I think Solanke, I wasn't surprised to see him drop out. I think he, he did okay for a couple of games. Um, I think the last couple of games he's been poor. Um, and he's one of those forwards that isn't going to be poor and grab your goal. So mm. that sometimes buys you a bit extra time on the side. Harry Wilson, again, I think is a player who, it's weird. It, my little boy described him as, he gets goals and nothing else. And I think that's, that's about it. But I mean, yeah. it's, not a, it's not a bad luxury to have, I suppose. But I think on the wing, he, he just can't cut it like some of our previous wide players yeah. have. He's just not a wide player. He was a, a number 10 for Derby. Yeah. Uh, he was successful there. So I wasn't surprised to see either of them drop out because I think they were the worst two players in the Norwich game. Lewis Cook, similarly, was always going to make way for Lerma um, if we were going to carry on playing two in midfield. So um, Dan Juma, it was pleasant to see him because he looked fantastic in the pre-season friendly. I think he um, he was all right yesterday. I think he was spectacular. He'll be kicking himself for not scoring. Um, although that everyone said it was a miss, I thought it was a fantastic save. Because yeah. I think he... 
he did everything right. He ra- he ran onto the ball and he hit it low, which yeah. is what there's, he had what he had to do. There isn't an, there's not an awful lot no. you can do when it, because it came at him at some pace. Mm. I don't know if he's naturally left footed or not, uh, but he seemed to let the ball come across his body and hit mm. it with his left. Whereas I thought when he was approaching it, it might have been easier to take it with his right. But he's right footed, I think. Yeah. Because if you look at his goals for Bruges. Oh, right. there's, a, there's a YouTube um, one of those things yeah. you know when you sign a player and you watch a YouTube clip and yes. you think you've signed the next Messi like, I always remember <laughs> yeah. Ranty's um, uh, Tagello Ranty's YouTube clip when he was playing at Malmo if you signed you, you, you would have thought that you were getting the next Harry Kane if you'd, see, if you'd watch that mm. but if you watch Dan Juma's ones most of his spectacular he's got a, a sort of ponchance for cutting in and bending them into the top corner mm. they're all right foot so if he's not right footed he's yeah. got to have a bad peg Mm. and that's what he nearly did against Norwich but his execution wasn't good but he cut in on his right and it was a low tame shot in the end so um, yeah we had a number of chances in the first half of course uh, Steve Cook's header off the bar um, and of course um, that chance as we said by Dan Juma now at half time I thought that we had the best of that half but then I sort of look back on match of the day and I think oh actually they did have a number of chances too um there was that Delafeo cross which was parried early on by Ramsdale and I think uh Decore hit it over yeah. they they had a corner that um struck the woodwork which I didn't sort of realize at I the time even, I didn't see it when I was at the game no, no. I thought someone had headed it clear yeah well I think I think it hit the woodwork um yeah, it did. Yeah. and then uh what else for us Rico had that shot from distance that uh, you know, fist off his left foot, almost like Charlie Daniels when he scored against Man City like on the half volley. Yeah. Great save by the keeper, though. Um, but I mean, we were I was... all willing that one to fly. Yeah, I think that would I be mean, a great one. Diego Rico sort of kind of reached cult hero state. I think you go through a stage sometimes at Bournemouth if you're not a great player, where the crowd turn on you and mm. then they give up turning on you. Then you have two great games and then you become an absolute folk hero. Yeah. Because um, we've seen it with people like Chucky in, in previous years. <laughs> we? And obviously, Diego Rico is a lot better than him. But the. Um, but it, it, it was hilarious because he, he gets sang, his name gets sang now everywhere he yeah. goes. And I think he's yet to have a game as good as Charlie Daniels. But yeah. but we are, we, we've kind of warmed to him. But uh, I think we if that had flown in, that would have oh, sealed him as hero. And all it had to be was be a, about seven inches to the yeah. right and it was in. It? So. so what were your thoughts on the first half then? Were you, uh, I were you sort of feeling best, right? I thought it was our best first half for um, uh, potentially all season because mm. we... Um, uh, we we went at it. Uh, what are so the criticism I got of the team at the moment is we get we get a good spell. We never get a good ninety minutes. Yeah. I can't remember the last time we played an energetic ninety minutes where we were full on it, which we used to do. You know, even when we lost, we used to always churn in that. You know, where we went at it, went at it. And I thought first half, I thought we we really we really looked like we were on it. And um, yeah, they had a few half chances, but they were they were start playing at home. They're always going to have those. Um, I just thought we. We controlled large spells of the game. I thought we were creative in attack. We were putting together those low crosses that worked yeah. so well for us. And it just looked like a, like an Eddie side, more of an Eddie side than we've seen probably in the last mm. 12 months, apart from in fleeting glimpses. So uh, I, I thought we would go on and win that one mm. or 2-0. Are you so. feeling better defensively? Because we seem to be uh, a lot better at the back. I mean, after Norwich, it was a, I mean, they, they weren't great up front, but you know, Watford caused a... A little bit of a threat, um, but then you you know you could say a lot of that's down to Aaron Ramsdale. We produced some incredible yeah. saves when needed once again. Yeah, well, I think we've got a keeper we trust. I think Ake and Cook haven't changed. Um, I don't ever think they were the problem. I, I always think our goals against Colin was more reflective of 
the system we play than the individuals that play in it because all of the, all of them are excellent all of them are excellent players. I think we've had a problem at left back when Daniels hasn't been fit um, that we try to rectify with a number of people that haven't worked. So that was that was the that was the worry defensively, and I think Rico defensively looks great. Mm. I think his his issue comes where he has to receive the ball at pace and move it. Mm because he just won't be used to doing that from Spain. But in terms of, I mean, I think every single time the winger got onto him yesterday, he won the ball back yeah. off him. And, um, and and a lot of the times it was Delefeu as well, who's, who's, a, yeah. who's a tricky tricky player. I mean, he went past Steve Cook very easily yes. in the second half, but he Twisted never, he never went past Diego Rico. No. And I think, so defensively, we look a lot stronger. I think without being a pessimist, the caveat you've got to put to that is we just played Norwich and Watford. Yeah, and I think we'll find out more in the next, certainly in December, whether that defence is as good as it now looks. Yeah, I thought. I mean, Rico, like you say, yeah, I think he made a number of. I wouldn't be surprised if he's up there uh, with Steve Cook. But um, the only way they could get it um, sort of past him is that they played a long ball over the top a number of times. Yeah. But he always seemed to get back and make yeah. the challenge. Um, yeah. So I've been really impressed by Rico uh, recently. The first few games, I was wondering. I was honestly thinking, is this guy going to cut it? But yeah. he's done really well. Well, he looked and great. His first few games, he looked. Good. Good. So I remember his debut against Chelsea. Yes, he was, he was he was excellent. I mean, I think he suffers from he suffers from the problem that he was he was always largely a wing back, wasn't he, for his his, his Spanish side, as yeah. I understand it, and, and right. certainly given a lot of free license. And I think he he's trying to settle into a way of playing. We we expect more of our fullbacks, I think, than any any side because of the because of the system that we play. They are so integral into getting into the attack, and yeah. they. If you look at the way we give Adam Smith the ball sometimes, I just think, Christ, I would never want to receive the ball. In that. We give it them so quick yeah. when he's marked by two players. And Daniels and him have been comfortable doing that over the years. As was Frano, he'd just ping it straight down the line if he got nervous, wouldn't he? But I think Rico, it's took him a lot, a lot of time to get used to that, receiving the ball really quickly in a tight spot because yeah. he won't have grown up playing that way. No, of course not. Yeah. No, that's right. Um, so in the second half, there were... Um, a number of uh, chances that we had. I remember that I think Harry Wilson came on uh, for Dan Juma and uh, he he seems to be so much better when he's running down the middle of the pitch. Um, He looked almost David uh, Brooks-esque at that point, had options to his right with Callum Wilson. Um, I thought he could have took on the shot, ended up playing King in. I mean, you know, the shot was tame in the end, but you'd start to think, you know, Harry Wilson, not that effective on the wing, but when he was running through, he looked yeah. pretty decent. And that's the bit that puzzles me, because Harry Wilson, um, I mean, I live near Derby in the week, so I know a lot of Derby fans, and I speak to them about him, and they they, they all, to a man, said, you've got such a fantastic player. Yeah. And I think we all thought, like with Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham and all these players that have come and had that spell in the in the championship and come back. And the, But Harry Wilson, you know, where, Derby predominantly played in that number 10 role and did exactly what we saw him doing at spells yesterday where he's, he's got quick feet he's got quick vision he's a classic number 10 which we lack he can put little slide rule balls through and as we all know he if he gets into a central position and unleashes a shot then nine times out of ten it's going to cause a goalkeeper a problem if it doesn't go in um, so why we play him on the wing mm. to me just I just do not understand it because we we kind of now turned him into a player that yeah. as fans we're not hundred percent sure about at all. You start to wonder whether it's the whether it's not the personnel, it's the actual formation that's perhaps not working for us. Because so, against Norwich we couldn't break him down. Do you think yeah. maybe four three three would be a better solution? I've said four three three should be the solution. Yeah, to me it's it is the solution. Hmm. I think 
I think you only have to look at what it's, it is the modern I mean, football formations go through eras, don't they? And and we went through a five at the backstage, and it becomes really effective. And I think you've you've got to look at what the what the most effective sides mm. in the world play, and all the, the effective sides in the world to a man play four three three because it as a system it gives you when you're playing well, and most of those sides do play well. You have three players that have got a license to just do go and do what they want. And whenever we play Liverpool, we're never quite sure where Salah and Mane is going to pop mm. up and Firmino, and, th and that that's just what they do. But they have that bedrock of seven solid players behind them that enable them to do that. And Real Madrid, Barcelona, that you know, all all of these sides play exactly the yeah. same way. But what it does give you when you are under the cosh is it gives you a bank of five and a bank of four yeah, behind right. them. So it's also a really good system. And you know, Liverpool don't win every game heavily and you see sometimes when they're one nil up they they pull back like any side yeah, and they sit right. there with that bank and you just can't get through them so yeah you know, there's no there's you know the only Leicester have had any form of success with two up front and the way that they did it was that they literally gave possession to the opposition yeah and then they hit on the break with um, Vardy and Mares. we don't we don't. To me, that's not our style of play. We've never been like that under Eddie. We're not a side that plays on the break, but increasingly we're be, we're becoming that. And I just think we've got all of the all of the personnel to fit four three three beautifully. And it's really frustrating that we've never at least given it a go. If for nothing else, start with four four two, and if it isn't working, move to four four. Yeah. Move, to, move to four. Or or the other way around. You know, we we kind of lost that flexibility to do things and. And, and we all know as well that when we next play Liverpool, Man City, we'll go back to Mepham will come in, we'll yeah. play far back five. And we just kind of be, we're stuck between two systems that were really successful in the, in the 1990s. Yeah. And it, you know, it baffles me why we don't use the system that all of the modern game uses. Mm. Callum Wilson uh, yesterday wasn't, wasn't overly effective, didn't even get a shot on goal, did he? No. And he was substituted very early on. I mean, it's yeah. not often that Callum does come off. No. Uh, what were your thoughts on him yesterday? I think he, I think Callum Wilson's always been a player that plays in bursts. And I think we've had, um, you know, you, if you look at him his, historically, other than the championship season where it was just a 46-game burst, yeah. since he's been in the Premier League, um, maybe because of injuries or whatever, you get those spells where he scores eight in eight in nine or eight and ten or whatever, and then you get the spells where he scores, uh, you know, zero and six. And I think we're just entering one of those spells, or we're in one of those spells with him. I think the the, the problem that Callum has is because he's Josh King's one of those forwards that if he's not scoring, he's got still got the ability to skip past people, fire the ball in, um, do some magic on the wing. Callum Wilson is a goal scorer, really, isn't he? He, yeah. he needs to be put in behind the back four and he scores. The amount of times we pinged the ball at Wilson yesterday from 60 yards and it bounced off his foot, well, yeah. it was gone. So Yeah, mm. Yeah. so what were your thoughts on Watford? I mean, bottom of the league, low number of points, haven't got a win yet. Not great, is yeah. it? No, I was asked by a Watford fan on the way back. I had one of those moments when you walk back to the car and away fans start talking to you, which I always love because I think it's part and parcel of the game, isn't it? And this Watford fan was walking with a kid who's the same age as my kid, and, and he said, uh, Are you all right, mate? I said, Yeah. He said, What do you think of us today? And I said to him, and, uh, you know, I said, No easy way of saying this. It's the wor that's the worst Watford side I've seen. We've been there probably uh, as many times as any game uh, ground. In recent seasons, haven't we? And, yeah. Uh, so we got to know them intimately. The first time I went there, I think Dini scored a trick, and we lost. Uh, <clears throat> we lost six one. But I think they've always been a side that sort of revolve around Troy Dini, cause us a lot of problems, physical, get the ball out. I thought that's by 
far and away. I thought they were worse than the side we beat 4-0 bizarrely last year. Mm. Um, I didn't think they looked too great at all. Um, and a number of people saying that, you know, they were they are in the rightful position and yeah. uh, maybe they should be worried this season, as Southampton should after yeah. Friday night. But... Um, you know, bearing in mind that we played a newly promoted side last week and a bottom of the league side this week, is is two points a good enough turnaround from those two fixtures? Not to me, no. No. No, I don't think so. But I think we, um, we've we got a tough run of fixtures coming up. I think if you looked at these fixtures at the start of the season, like everyone does, and Eddie Howe will have been the same, he'll have, he'll have his games where points are bonus, he'll have his games where he'd like to think we get a point, and then he'll have the games where I think anything less than three points is disappointing. And I think if you're way at the bottom of the league table haven't won, I think he'd have won the three points. I think previous years' sides would have beaten Watford quite comfortably. That's the worry for me. Yeah. I think previous years' sides would have beaten Norwich quite comfortably. But previous years' sides had lesser players in them. And that's the bit that, to me at the moment, doesn't stick or that I get confused by. Why have we got better players? But I think we all know that that side with Pugh, Ritchie, Arter would have beaten that Watford side 2 or 3 nil yesterday. Yeah. And Norwich as well. And that's the bit that... I think Eddie will be wrestling in his head with is is why a more talented group aren't aren't cutting it really on a ninety minute game yeah. basis. It changes. Um, <clears throat> it does change the next couple of matches quite a lot, really, because when you look over our shoulder, it's so congested. Yeah. Um, you know that table, and you're looking at uh, matches against sort of Manchester United, who play later on today. So we don't know how that one went, and then Newcastle United, and you know that is not going to be an easy fixture, and you sort of. The, these feelings of optimism that we had, we put out a poll uh, before these four games and said, you know, what's the lowest points total that you'd be happy with? Yeah. Consensus was around seven points. Yeah. Um, we've got a work cut out to do that, especially you I, know, given the way we're performing at the moment. I thought we'd beat Watford and Norwich. I thought we would get an unlucky draw at Newcastle. And I thought we'd get a plucky draw with Man United. Which would have been my take on those four games. I, I, I would have thought it would have been a nailed on eight points. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, no, now completely different um, complexion. But it's such a weird league this year that you wouldn't be at all surprised if we beat Man United two 0 and then go and nick a one 0 at Newcastle with a last minute Steve Cook. <laughs> yeah, just, I'll take that again. It, it's um, you know, so it's it, it, I'm not worried. I'm not panicking. Yeah. I don't I don't think that's a side that's going to struggle with relegation. Mm. Uh, it's just too good. I just think that we'll have to go through that thing we often do, where where Eddie works out in his head. Uh, he'll always give a formation longer than we give it because he spent months and months working on it on a training ground. So yeah. he's always going to he's going to keep plucking away at that. I think Eddie will be looking at it not thinking it's a formation problem. He'll be looking at it thinking that Callum Wilson's off form, Ryan Fraser's off form, Josh King's probably not at his heights. If those players get their games right, he'll look at it saying nothing wrong with four four two. They'd have won both of them yeah. games. The last two games, if the players have been on it. Yeah, interesting. So we put out uh, a question on Twitter earlier about. Um... You know, just asking people to come up with some questions that I can ask you just about your general thoughts. Um, Ashley submitted a question uh, saying, our play is too predictable. Are we overcoached? Do you think that's the case? That's a very, it's an interesting question. Mm. I don't, I don't think, I think which is a difficult thing. I don't think we're overcoached because I don't think you can overcoach a side. Um, I think uh, people are, if, you, if you're good coaches, and I think you know Eddie Howe is an outstanding coach because of his record, but I think you can only get better through working with him. I think we're too rigid. So uh, I know we just talked about it earlier. I think we used to flex between lots of different systems in the past. And for some reason, and it'd be lovely to ask Eddie the question, we now, if we're losing, we stick with the same formation and we just alternate players within that formation. Whereas what we used to do was 
moved to three at the back. We used to check at least we set on and have four yeah. forwards. There was a number of things we used to do, whereas now it seems to be a straightforward Wilson comes off and a winger comes on and King comes off and Solanke comes on. Or yeah. It's literally swapping man for man. So I think we're not overcoached. I think we're too rigid mm. and we're not trusting maybe that we can play other formations and yeah. try different question marks. Interesting. I mean, you say the rigidity. I don't know if that, yeah, that could be down to the formation. Uh, one, of the, one other question that came in was Jamie Williams, who said, we are too reliant on counter-attacks to score goals. Discuss. Do you reckon that's the case? Well, no, completely not. So we had a very, very <clears throat> deliberate switch in the way we play football. I don't think people talk enough about because to me it was as obvious as... as um, as anything, so for years we'd always pretty much played with overloading fullbacks, and uh, we'd had a game based on dominating possession. And even in our first two years in the Premier League, we we had more possession than sides that we had no right to have more possession on. And I think, I think, we I think we did it because of the goals against Colin. I think Eddie just thought we 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 have to sort this goals against Colin out. Yeah. And I think he probably looked at it and thought we're probably going forward too much and try to dominate possession too much. And we had a really deliberate change at the start of last year that they clearly worked on all summer, which was for us to play as a counter-attacking team. Yeah. And we sat back deep to kind of protect our defensive record. And then we, we played on the counter. And for the first 12 games, it was spectacularly successful. And I think what happened then, which is what always happens in the Premier League, is we were catching people out because they weren't expecting us to play like that. Yeah. And they, lots of analysts would have looked at the way we played and said, this is not a Bournemouth side like before, I think Paul Merson said yesterday, I used to enjoy watching Bournemouth, I don't watch, enjoy watching Bournemouth anymore, Interesting. which he said on, on Sky Sports. And, and that is because we now, we do not play like we used to, where you'd have, you know, you think, well, is that fullback ever going to be able to get back? And you, we were wide open at the back at times, weren't we? It was great fun yeah. to watch. We would not be Liverpool 4-3 anymore, no. like, like we had before. We, we did that on the back of, you know, that spirit of, Let's just all go for it. Mm. What's there to lose? And I don't think we have that. And I think the... So we played on the counter-attack. We had less possession than Norwich at home, didn't we? Which would have been unheard of years ago. Um, uh, so it, it is a very deliberate thing. And I just think it's probably time now that we look at that and think, is it, is it effective anymore? Is it something we should use for certain games, not others? Yeah. That's back to that rigidity thing. Every week... We play exactly the same way, which to me makes us really predictable. We had a tweet as well from Tom Jordan. It's almost like he's been listening to this conversation because he brought in certain parts into this one tweet where he said, I have too many players not bought into Eddie's philosophy and style yet? He went on to say, we arguably looked better and more fluid when we had the likes of Sermon, Arta, Pugh, Ritchie and Frano in the side. We have ble- we have better players now, so something isn't working. And he says that you know he just thinks we need to give it time. But that's what we were saying about you know back in those days, the some of the side was greater than its parts. But it's completely the opposite now. We got better players. It's just it's just not happening for us. Yeah, and I think if you uh, to me, um, and it's only my opinion, there's a really really clear reason for this. So if, if you look at all of those players that we had, they will have grown up. At school, playing four four two, it would have been in the DNA that they played in, you know, whoever's youth team they were in, not, you know, not Forest youth team or whatever, playing four four two. They understood it, and then they a lot of them were lower league footballers that went on a, you know, absolutely incredible journey together. I think what we're now trying to do is fit players into systems. So Jefferson Lerma will never have played as a one of a midfield central two in his life. Dan Juma will never have played as a wide midfielder that has to cover a fullback in his life. They would have come up through, you know, whoever Ajax's youth team, whoever he came up with. He would have been playing a, a very fluid forward role. So I think 
that's the issue that the you know we we've, we've transitioned the squad to players, but we're still getting them to try and play in a way that certainly they'll never have played in before, and that is kind of stuck in the history of our football club of yeah. coming from the lower league. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very good point. And uh, just a final question uh, we had from Sam Summers, who always likes to uh, be very direct with his questioning um, about Eddie and team tactics. He said, not to be overly critical, but hasn't the question of Eddie managing bigger players or bigger characters always been on the agenda? He said it was a worry uh, what would happen when we moved on from the old guard and had better players. Is it something that will ultimately hold him back from getting a top job? A tough one. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you... Uh, I'd, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that because I think Jack Wiltshire, he, I think he got some great stuff out of Jack Wiltshire and Jack Wiltshire loved, loved playing for him um, and was very open about the fact that it rejuvenated his love of the game um, when he played with Eddie. Um, and I think you know people like Callum Wilson now is a big player. Mm. Uh, Arthur Boric was always a you know, a massive player and a massive personality and a legend in his own in his own country as well as in his own head. Um, so I think uh, I think that I think that's a little unfair to Eddie to say to, to say that he, he can't manage big names. I think if he went to a, a big club, he would manage those big names because I think they would respect what he would bring to them as individuals. But then Ryan Fraser, um, I wouldn't say he is a big name, but he, he seems to want he seems to want a way. What's what's the best way to manage his situation at the moment? I think Ryan I think Ryan Fraser is one of those players who's just done his time at a football club. I think it's wrong of us to expect that uh, that people should want to stay at Bournemouth their whole career. Um, and you, you know for me with Ryan Fraser it's one of those where we should just be shaking his hand and saying you've given us a wonderful um, seven or eight years because he has but I think we'll be you know ultimately if he doesn't want to be here we'll be better without him and he'll be better he'll enjoy his, his football going somewhere else the problem he's got is if unless he sorts out his form mm. that list of where he was going to go is going from sort of it? Arsenal now he's heading probably down the Newcastle um, route and that's probably not what he not what he wanted so it's been a situation that's because it's bubbled on too long isn't it I don't think it's helping us or him and it's a shame because he's a player I'd love to get back into the swing of things and for him to want to be here because I think on his days he's proper Bournemouth player and he's fantastic yeah. but um, but yeah it's not doing any favours either No certainly well it's been interesting to chat about the uh, Watford game yeah two points from those and next up it's Manchester United but first up on Back of the Net it's time for the AFC Bournemouth Goal of the Month So yeah, that's right. We just thought we'd break it up a little bit. Um, no goals for AFC Bournemouth in October. Uh, Neil, is that a worry? Well, it's, it can't be anything but a worry. Really, <laughs> the uh, I can't remember who was it that had a goal of the month. It was a penalty, wasn't it? One. Yeah. Um, I can't remember it was Arsenal. Yeah, so they made a massive been. thing of it because their goal of the month was a penalty, and they showed it from about eighteen different angles. Mm. Um, but no, we, so we haven't. I don't know if we've <laughs> never actually not had a goal of the month. 
We should maybe have a hit in the post for money. Mm. Yeah. And give it to Harry Wilson for his one yesterday that just flicked the outside of the post. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So Man United on uh, Saturday. We'll look forward to that. That's going to be straight after the Rugby World Cup final where England will be playing South Africa, who beat uh, Wales this morning. Uh, we'll all be watching that, I'm sure. And then... Hotfooting it over to Dean Court to see uh, a match televised on BT Sport, 12.30 kickoff against Man United. Um, they're in action a bit later on today at Norwich. They've not impressed so far this season. What are you expecting from it? I don't think anyone knows with Manchester United, let, let least alone Manchester United fans these days. Uh, so you've got the Manchester United that humped Chelsea 4-0 and the Manchester United that drew with Liverpool and should have beat them, really. Um, uh, and against the Manchester United that can capitulate to anyone at home or away. Um, so it, it, the score could be anything from 2-0 to us to 2-0 to them and any score in between, and I wouldn't be in the slightest bit surprised. Outside of those parameters, I would be, but it, it's not like... Um, it, it reminds me of the season we played Manchester United when we first came up and we beat them. Um, you know, obviously we were ecstatic as we beat Chelsea and Manchester United in the in the same week. I think it was probably the greatest week for a lot of yeah. our um, a lot of um, supporters as old as me. They think that was our greatest ever week, and probably will never be beaten because I just never thought we'd see those kind of results in in games. But actually, when you look back now, you realise that neither of them were. It wasn't the greatest Chelsea side at the time, and it wasn't yeah. the greatest Man United side. So they remind me a lot of that. The transitional, you know, they're in quite a bit of disarray. There was a team sheet that was put up online um, their last uh, their last outing, I think, and you, you looked at it and thought if you were a man, diehard Manchester United fan, you just must sit and weep when you see that mm. team sheet compared to the ones of Konchelskis and Giggs and yeah. Cantona and uh, the names they've had in the past. Because you, you look at people like McTominay and, and stuff like that, you just think they are... They are lower Premier League, yeah. top championship players at best. Do, they any, are, do any of their players... Worry you ahead of next week, or is it the sort of you know classic names that you're thinking of like Rashford, Martial, etc.? I think they're the two because Pogba's not fit, is he? It doesn't look like he'll be fit. Um, Rashford is hit and miss, and he um, uh, looks a bit better lately. And they're hoping they got Martial back for today. But Martial has had indifferent games against Bournemouth over the years. He's, yeah. he's a player that we've shown you know Ake can Ake can normally handle him quite well. He's got pace, mm. not a lot else. Um, really for a player of his value so yeah it's it's one of those where you know completely set the fence we've got no no clue what the result is but it, it should technically be a really good time to play Manchester United mm. if we could get our lineup right and, and we normally bring our A game for um, bigger sides at home um, but we, we've got a history of being able to do that at times so uh, hopefully we can get something out of it but mm. tough one to call okay well we always do it. I'm going to push you for a prediction somehow. We don't know how we're going to line up. Don't know what changes Eddie would make. Well, well, you know, before that, actually, what changes would you make in terms of uh, formation and or players on the pitch? I would play. Um, I think the back four is written in stone now. Yes. I think we have to we have to put a player in between the midfield and the forward lines if we're going to hurt anyone and bring the best out of both our midfield and our forward line. So I'd have Billing and uh, Lerner sitting. I think I would go for um, Harry Wilson, uh, give him a go in the number 10 slot because yeah, he's that. great for free kicks as well. So I'd stick him behind a front three of King, Wilson and Dan Juma, mm. controversially. I'd give Fraser a little break and then maybe bring Fraser on for Dan Juma and see what he can do. Okay. So that, that, would be, that would be my side. And I think 
you know, that's the side I'd love to see given four or five games and just to see if it could work. Mm. So prediction-wise, I'm going to push you 4-1 anyway. Um, so I think we'll, we won't play that side. We'll play 4-4-2. We'll play, <laughs> we'll play four, four, yeah. uh, and I, I'm going to say, I'm going to feel brave and I say we're going to go for 2-1. I think we'll go 1-0 uh, we'll up, they'll, they'll equalise and we'll score late. So similar to the uh, to the win we had against them previously. Yeah, so I, think, I think we'll win. I think we'll win two one. Solanke will come off the bench, score a diving header. That that would be <laughs> lovely. Well, Neil, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much for your input. No, lovely to be here. And uh, right, it's now time to wrap up the show. Yep, so cheers to Neil Dawson for speaking to me today. He came around very short notice and uh, I thought his views were excellent. Uh, so thank you very much. And if you'd like to be on any future podcast, then just give me a shout over Twitter, Facebook or send me a text or whatever. The phone number is on the Twitter bio for Back of the Net. Remember, if you want some beverages, uh, go to beer52.com slash AFCB. That's beer52.com slash AFCB. Beer52 traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. There's an abundance of beer you've never imagined, and they're on a mission to find it and deliver it to their members each and every month. And I had a couple last night, and oh my goodness, they were needed but they were beautiful. £4.95 delivery for the first crate, and if you want to cancel after it, I mean, you can, but it does carry on after that, but it's not bad, is it? Hopefully, you will enjoy those as much as you will. This Do You Remember answer, where I, I did make it a little bit complicated, I must admit, but when you've got so much free time on a Sunday trying to think, do I want to watch the highlights? No, I won't. Let's come up with a question. Then your mind sort of goes a bit mad. So it was all related to Wembley, given we were basically in the Wembley kit yesterday. And I asked you the following maths teaser. So take the number of AFC Bournemouth first team managers to be on the pitch that day. Well, the answer is two. One was Eddie Howe. The other on the opposition was Paul Groves. Multiply that number by the number of players named in the AFC Bournemouth matchday squad, which at the time was 14. You could only name 14, so that makes, what, 28 now? And from that, minus the number of players that were actually used from the matchday squad. One player missed out, so we had 13, 28 minus 13, that's 15. The player to miss out, oh, don't, don't, don't talk about it. I'm still upset to this very day. Frank Rolling. Bonjour, my name is Frank Rolling, and you're listening Back of the Net. Man, loved that guy, loved that guy. And divide that figure, which is 15 now by the total number of goals scored in the game, it was three. One of them went down as a Jimmy Glass own goal, but it was Wayne Burnett that scored that golden goal winner. So 15 divided by three is five. Whose squad number is that? It's Nathan Ake. There we go. That's the answer to do you remember this week? Right. I think I've just about said everything I need to, apart from the usuals. If you saw this via a tweet on Twitter, I'd appreciate it if you enjoyed it, just to give it a, a retweet. Um, and also on iTunes too, if you can leave a review, 
that would be fantastic. Really appreciate people being very positive about what we're trying to do. I know quite often people just listen and don't do anything. Um, I personally notice every single person that retweets and it really does mean a lot to help get the word spread out there. Still, not many people know about the podcast and not many people are even into podcasts. Hence, we then started YouTube which has got a different sort of audience going, but hopefully uh, everyone can come together and, uh, well, yeah, listen to the podcast, get on YouTube after the Man United game at the weekend. We'll cheer England on in the rugby first, but then, yeah, 12.30 kickoff, and I'll be outside the 1901 bar. I will post the picture on Twitter of exactly where we stand on the other side of the fence to be away from the scrabbling masses who are trying to get away. And, yeah, fingers crossed we can do something that we've done only once before at the new Dean Court, which has beat Manchester United. We did it once. Can we do it again? Fingers crossed. Thanks for listening. This has been Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. No score. Still evenly balanced. Fletcher and Steen looking to get in again. The goalkeeper come a long way. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.